Hey, and welcome to Generation Changers Church Podcast. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Barry Smith. Well, we are in the series entitled The End Game, and we've been talking about cultural events and, and modern day things that are, uh, how they play into the prophecy about the end time. We've talked about education, the teaching specifically of evolution, how it is designed to destroy the general revelation of God as creator. We've talked about technology that the Antichrist is going to use in the end time already being in place. Matter of fact, I saw the other day that a company was having what was called a chip party, and they were inviting their employees in to put a chip in their hand, and then they go up to the to the dispensing machines like the for refreshments and stuff and put their hand up there and it purchases it for them. It's it's already in place. We've talked about wokeism in the culture, how that explains it, how that exemplifies everything that Paul said to young Timothy that would happen in the last days. It's all wrapped up in that woke movement. Now, we talked about apostasy in the church, the falling away from sound doctrine and from God and how people will look for teachers that will tickle their itching ears. And we decided that this is not that church, right? Now, we're going to get to the bottom line today and just tell you that all of the signs of the time are pointing to one event, and that one event is Jesus is coming again. I believe that with all of my heart. First, he is coming in the clouds of glory to rapture away his bride called the church. I believe he will take her to what the Scripture calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, and she will enjoy that celebration with him. He then, after a period of time, will return to earth when he places his foot on the Mount of Olives and it gives way on either side, and he will establish himself in the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will set up his millennial kingdom. I believe that is going to happen. Do you know there are some 300 prophecies thereabout concerning the first coming of Jesus to the earth as a baby in a manger and a man on a cross? Jesus fulfilled them all. There are nearly three times that many prophecies or promises about his second coming. And guess what? If he did it the first time, he'll do it again. That's the good news. Jesus is coming, and it is not as long as it has been. It is soon to take place. Now, when I was a kid, I played a particular game. How many of you played hide-and-go-seek? Mm-hmm. One person would uh, be chosen as it whatever it was, you're it, we're going to go hide, and whoever was it would have to count to 100, and if you were like me, I went 1, 2, 3, 4, 17, 18, 19, 32, 33, 34, 65, 66, 67. I didn't want to give them time to hide. But however you counted, now I was just speed counting, I wasn't cheating, okay? So just get that straight. I was an angel as a child. Now, Here's the cool thing, though. As soon as the counting was done, whoever it was would yell out, ready or not, here I come. Understand that's exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 24. Ready or not, here I come. The disciples asked him about timelines and stuff concerning the time of his coming and the time of the end of the, end of the age. 
And Jesus goes through Matthew 24, giving them 15 different signs in three different categories. Back in 2021, I covered those in a series we called Ready. That's because wearing masks and all locked in our homes, we were ready for Jesus to come, right? As a matter of fact, we thought he might come at any moment because heaven had to be better than being quarantined, okay? Now, Go back and watch that series ready, and it'll give you a lot of context uh, concerning Matthew 24. It spells it out pretty easily to understand. But it gets to the point toward the end of the passage or the end of the chapter where, where he gets to shifting things a little bit. He talked about wars, pestilences, which we know now is widespread disease, earthquakes, famines, false prophets, false Christs, all of these things coming at the end of the age. And then he gets to the place where he basically says, ready or not, here I come. Let's read together. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not in the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered into the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. The one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, there's a shift in the conversation from the signs of the time to the parousia, which is a term in the Greek used to describe the second coming of the Lord. And that word actually means presence. So there's a time when the signs are done and his presence actually shows up. That's going to be a wonderful time. And Jesus tells us a few facts about the end time and about his coming that I want to point out to us today. Now, the first is this. The fact that he's coming is settled, but here's the deal. The time is unknown. As certain as the coming of Jesus is, the time of his coming is equally uncertain, okay? And that means that prophets can't predict it. Now, there are many who are schooled in the study of eschatology, which is the study of the end times. And they can point out to you different prophecies that have been fulfilled. I've been watching some of that stuff lately and just amazed at how Israel plays into God's timeline of the end times and things that were set in place in 1948 and 1967, how all of that started the, the end of time's clock, if you will. Now, they can do a lot of stuff and point out a lot of things, but no one, no one of mankind can predict the day or the hour that Jesus is going to come. Many have tried. I think I remember in 1988, there was a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 88. And then there was 89 Reasons Jesus Will Come. No, but you understand, it didn't happen. So a few years later, somebody else picks another year and gives us reasons through the, through the Scripture and the prophecy of when Jesus was coming. If anybody predicts when he's coming, turn that person off, they're a false prophet. Okay? They won't do your soul any good. Prophets can't predict it because no man knows. Secondly, angels can't reveal it. 
Jesus said the angels don't know. The word angel is angelos or angelos, which simply means the heavenly messengers that God used to bring his will to people. How many of you, well, well, this is something that the Hebrews were actually familiar with because it was part of their history. Angels showing up and speaking and revealing the word of God. When Jesus was born, who was it that spoke to Mary? It was an angel. A messenger sent, a heavenly messenger from God sent to inform her about God's will. Well, God chose to keep this from his angelic messengers. So I can only imagine in heaven, the angels are around the throne of God, like the two kids in the back seat going to grandma's house. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And and God says, don't make me stop this car. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Now, the angels can't reveal it because they don't know. Here's the thing. Only the Father knows it. Now, this part challenges my theology a bit because Jesus said not even the Son knows. This is the only time in Scripture when we we see Jesus claiming not to have knowledge of something. The only time. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all three in one. They all share divine attributes. They all equally share divine attributes. You can't separate their greatness from one another. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our God is one God. Now, the only thing I can figure would be the fact that when Jesus came to earth, he was fully God and fully man. He was not half one and half the other. That would be Star-Lord on the Guardians of the Galaxy, okay? Jesus was not Star-Lord. He's Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Yet, we see that he chose at times to restrict the use of his divine qualities. Give you for an instance, Jesus came in the form of man, therefore limiting his presence to his physical body. He could be in one place at one time. God is a spirit, can be everywhere at all times, but God, but Jesus limited the use of those divine attributes by limiting himself to a physical body. I believe this is another case with the knowledge of his coming that by the act of his will, he chose not to exercise his divinity of having all knowledge, and he says, only the Father knows. Now, if only the Father knows it, the angels don't know it, no man knows it, and the time is uncertain, then there's only one outcome, and that's this. Some will be called unaware, period. Let's read in verses 37 through 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered into the ark. And they were unaware, see that word? They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, Jesus mentioned something again Hebrews were very familiar with, the story of Noah and the ark how God literally rained judgment down on the earth, flooding the earth, destroying the wickedness of man, and killing every living creature that was not on board the ark that Noah had built. Now, I want to give just a brief synopsis of the days of Noah so we can understand it better. First of all, Jesus said they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. How many of you had something to eat or drink before you came to church today? Hopefully, that drink included just a bit of caffeine. While, while, while this church doesn't require like a five-hour energy, all churches require caffeine today because we come in and dim the lights early in the day, okay? 
So hopefully you had a little caffeine this morning. It's one of the mornings a week. I have caffeine two mornings a week. Sunday's one of them. That's why you say, how do you do what you do? Mountain Dew, that's how. Now, okay, no, I do it by the enabling power of God's Holy Spirit. And a shot of Mountain Dew don't hurt. Now, uh, so when the preacher's preaching, you understand now he's all jacked up on Mountain Dew. There we go. They were eating, that's a natural everyday occurrence, is eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Another everyday occurrence. They were living their lives as if this life were all there was, or all there is. Now watch this. Yesterday, I was privileged to, uh, to conduct a wedding for two wonderful young people, uh, Jacob Denson and his new bride, Reagan. It was awesome. It really was. And I want to brag on these two kids for a moment. They did it right. They put God in the center of their relationship. They chose that they would not be with each other if they both were not with God. And they saved themselves for marriage, which is a testimony that God can still work through young people in this hour. And I believe in the young people at GC Church. I believe they can do it well. But we got to thinking on Friday, getting ready for that wedding as we were on Thursday when we were talking through the sermon. I said, hey, guys, wouldn't it just be funny? And these two people getting married did all this well and building up the anticipation to their wedding day. They have their wedding. They go through the reception. They get in the limo. It's just the two of them, and they're headed on their honeymoon. And all of a sudden, da, 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 the trumpet sounds, and Jesus comes. <laughs> One of the pastors, I won't tell you who, Pastor Jared, said, that would be real cool, God. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Well, unless the case you're the person who just got married, right? You're like, can you hold off a sec? Now, understand, <laughs> I can see the Jewish boy and girl just getting married. They're on the way to their honeymoon, and rain starts hitting them on the forehead. It's like, man. Well, what they were doing is they were living their lives to the point where many ignored God. Living like this life is all there is with no thought of the fact of eternity and the fact that we will one day stand before God and answer to him for the way that we've lived our lives. The Bible says that the condition of man was so horrible that God lamented his creation. He was literally sorrowful, so sorrowful. How many of you have ever wanted to, to question the fact of why you had kids? Anybody? Usually when they're teenagers, it hits. You go, why did I even have kids? I told my husband I didn't want kids. And God is to this place with his creation. I can't believe something I love so much has gone so bad. And he literally sets up the flood to destroy all living things on the earth that were not aboard, above, or on board the ark. But here's the thing. I believe... The Bible says the imaginations of the thoughts of men's heart were only evil continually. When they weren't doing evil, they were thinking about how to do evil, creating new ways to do evil. And I believe that describes the culture we're living in today. I believe that every day it seems like some new evil is trying to be normalized in our culture. It mirrors the days of Noah, and it will eventually bring judgment from God on the earth. But here's the good news. In a world where many ignored God, someone found grace. As soon as that, there we go, it happened the second time. Now, 
The Bible says, let's, let's look at verse 8 of Genesis 6. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That Hebrew word for grace is the word Cain, which means favor. Not that which is particularly earned, but that which is given. God didn't look down on Noah and say, well, he's the best shot we got at getting this right. I think I'll save him. Because anytime divine grace is involved, it is an act of the sovereign will and unshockable love of the Heavenly Father. Anybody that receives grace receives grace because of the goodness of God, because of the love of God. And Noah happened to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Again, that word grace means favor, goodwill from God to him. Now listen, I've just got to stop here and preach a minute if you don't mind. But I believe too much in the modern day church, we hear too much about the favor of God being tied to materialism. Well, you got God's favor, you're going to get the promotion. Woo! You got God's favor, you're going to get that new house. You got God's favor, you're going to get this, you're going to get that. Listen, God's favor is so much more than materialism. Understand that. If it was tied to materialism, it would have an expiration date. Because heaven and earth will pass away at some point, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But understand this, my friend, the favor we have with God doesn't have an expiration date. Here's what real favor is. Real favor is when the world was about to receive judgment, God gave grace to Noah and let Noah in on the plan of redemption, and Noah began to live according to that plan of redemption. The greatest favor God will ever show anyone is to let us in on his plan for our eternal redemption through his son Jesus Christ and I am grateful that I have the favor of knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior and my favor doesn't have an expiration date. It is good for all eternity. Wow. Just had to throw that in there. I know God's been faithful to meet our needs according to his riches in heaven given to us through Christ Jesus but his favor is eternal. And because Noah received favor with God, he began to live an abstract life. While everybody else was eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, he was building a boat in the desert. The homeowners association had sent him letter after letter how he was violating the guidelines of the community. People thought this man was crazy because he was building a boat in a desert telling him it was going to rain and it had never rained in the history of the world. But here's the thing. When God lets you in on his plan for redemption, you start living different than the world around you. Are you hearing me? They were living like this world was all there is. He was living for what was coming. Are you hearing me? When we receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to live an abstract life to that of the culture. The culture may be enjoying all there is to enjoy here, but we recognize that this life is but an incubator for eternity, and we're not living our real existence. This is the pre-roll to eternity where we are going to live eternal life and live it in the presence of God. Understand, when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your life looks different. You are concerned with different things 
things. And people may not understand the differences in your life, but when you've received favor with God through knowing Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what the world says because they didn't give you the favor. They can't take your favor away. You keep living like Jesus is coming. Wow. I'm going to have to preach a while, but, 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 but I tell you that it's interesting to me that the ark had three layers being built out of gopher wood. It had something applied on the inside of that wood that helped hold it together and cover it. And then there was something on the outside of the wood that sealed it, that caused that ark to pass through things that should pass through it. And it's interesting when we have favor with God by knowing Jesus Christ, I believe that inside layer that nobody could see that held everything together, that's God the Father who, who holds everything together by his divine powerful word. I believe that wood is that earthen representation of God, the incarnate Jesus that came on and died on the cross for our sins. And I believe that outward layer of sealant on the ark represents the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Bible says, with which we are sealed until the day of redemption. So we see in Noah's time, there was a revelation of the Father who holds it all together, the Son who makes it all possible, and the Spirit who seals it all and enables us to go through this life passing through circumstances and situations that would normally pass through us. But because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, no matter anything the devil throws at us or any storm that comes against us, we're going to keep moving until Jesus comes. We're going to keep going. We're not going to sink. We're not going to be capsized, but we're going to last until he shows up. Wow. That's real favor. And it revealed to him the Trinity was with him. Now, the only way any of us are getting out of here alive is by grace. By grace. Being led in on the plan of God's redemption. Hallelujah. And I believe Jesus was telling us, just like in the days of Noah, hear me, don't be unprepared. Let's read verses 40 and 41. Two men will be in the field, the one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. The one will be taken and the other left. Now, here's where it gets sticky theologically. Concerning these two verses and this passage that we're preaching from today, theologians are split on what this is referring actually to. Okay? I'm going to give you both schools of thought. Then I'm going to give you one answer. Is that good? All right, because theologians will often disagree on context. On what are they actually talking about? Who is he actually talking to? But there will always be a principle that is the same no matter where they're divided. First of all, they're saying this passage is about the rapture. I explained a little bit of that up front. And, and, and the fact that Jesus was going to come and the believers are going to be caught up together to be with him and to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, I still believe that as much as I believed it at any time in my life. 
But understand, it is plainly spoken to us and explained to us in 1 Thessalonians. Let's, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from a heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Notice, Jesus is not setting foot on the earth, but we're being caught up with Jesus. That's where we get the word rapture. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I believe in the promise of the rapture of the church. I believe he will come again and receive his bride. I believe that he will call us to himself. In John 14, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That's exactly what a Hebrew groom would do in that day. He would go and prepare the place for his bride before he came and got her and took her to that prepared place. I believe 1 Thessalonians is just picking up where Jesus left off in John chapter 14. I believe the trumpet of God is going to sound. Those who have died in Christ, they are going to be bodily resurrected, reunited with their spirits and we who are alive and remain are going to not be prevented by that but we're going to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air that's a promise it's coming it's going to happen I believe it with all of my heart now here's the thing there will be people who don't go up in the rapture people who do not know Jesus will be left here to see the terrible wrath of the Lord unleashed in the earth in a period of time we call the Great Tribulation. Now listen, we can see similarities in the days of Noah, how that when Jesus comes, some were ready and some were not, some were prepared and some were not. Not everybody's going in the rapture because not everybody will be serving Jesus. Breaks my heart to think that way, but that's the truth. But now some... Say, this is not referring to the rapture where he comes for the church, but this is actually his return, the second coming, when he actually comes back to earth, plants his feet or his foot on the Mount of Olives, and earth gives way to its king, and he comes through the eastern gate of Jerusalem when he comes back to do war against all the evils of the earth and subdue it and reign as king and as lord to set up his millennial kingdom in the earth. The reason they say this is because if you will look in the story of Noah, he says two people are going to be in the field, one taking the other left, two people are going to be at the mill, one taking the other left, that there will be people after the rapture that will be saved. There's a big school of thought in theology. I don't get into that fight because here's the thing. If you're not courageous enough to make Jesus your Lord and Savior now, I don't like your chances after the rapture when the church is gone. Uh, that's, that's like uh, some friends I grew up with that like to party. They say, well, I'm just going to have fun and repent before I die. Or if Jesus comes, I'll just repent in the tribulation and, and I'll go to heaven the other way. That's not a solid plan for eternity. That's, that's probably not going to work. Because you might party too hard one night and not make it home, and then what's going to happen? So the thing of believing, well, I'll just, if the rapture takes place, I'll find it in my own strength to do this. There'll be no church here to encourage you to come and help you. Listen, this is one pastor that plans to go when Jesus calls. 
Are you hearing me? When, when the trumpet sounds and the church is raptured, I'm going. See you there or see you not, I'm going. Okay? I'll probably be one of those that look down to everybody who stays here and says, see you, wouldn't want to be you. Okay? That's, that's probably <laughs> the way that will go down. But understand, there are similarities. It's interesting, I know, to see that them battling over these two different times. But in both cases whether it's talking about Jesus coming back to reign and people being taken away into eternal judgment and some remaining as some stayed in the ark and others were swept away, or whether it's talking about the rapture when Jesus comes and some are ready and some are not, here's the principle. In both cases, he's telling us people aren't going to be ready. And what Jesus is saying, rather than getting involved in the theological argument, he's saying this, Jesus says, be ready. It doesn't matter which event to which it is referring, there is a readiness that he calls for. He tells us, my friend, be ready for the return. Watch this. He says to us, therefore, stay awake. Take your elbow and gently nudge the person next to you and say, stay awake. I just got those of you that were falling asleep. Watch this now. Stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Be ready. It's not about deciphering the signs. It's not about calculating the date. It's about keeping watch. Children of God, when you look around you, you are dismayed. But Jesus says, when you start looking around you and you see that it ain't going to get any better, then stop looking around you and start looking above you. It's not about predicting when it's going to happen. It's about being ready for it to happen. It's about acknowledging God while you have time. It's about not living like the rest of the world, like this is all there is. It's about saying there is a life to come that I've got to be ready for, and the only way I can be ready is to know Jesus. It's about being ready every day for what could happen any day. Wow. We're about to have a real transparent moment here. We live in a culture where everybody just goes to heaven. Don't matter what kind of hellish life they live, they just automatically go to heaven. When's the last time you went to a funeral and the preacher said, well, this dude didn't make it. He didn't get sanctified and he's going to be chicken fried. Anybody heard that at a funeral? No. I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't matter how well the preacher can lie at your funeral. It doesn't matter if they can eulogize you like you were the personification of the Virgin Mary. If you don't know Jesus, you ain't going. And that breaks my heart. Because even the people I don't like sometimes, I love them enough to want them to go to heaven. Because I'm trusting all that junk that I don't like will be gone when we get there. I'll get to enjoy the real them. And they're probably thinking the same thing about me. I don't see anybody die lost. Not everybody's going, only the people who are ready. And the people who are ready are the ones who understood God's plan for redemption and made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. You know, I was um, recently honored to 
preach a funeral for a lady who was 100 years old. She didn't look a day over 70. Whatever moisturizer she was using, man, I, I'm buying stock in. She looked great. She lived to be 100. She knew Jesus. Her spirit is in the presence of God now. She's fine. I've also had the tough experience of standing beside the miniature casket of a two-week-old and having to look at the family and say, I don't understand this one, and I never will till we get there. I was just honest. But here's what I've learned. I saw a pickup truck going down the road today, and it reminded me of a friend that's gone no longer with us. I thought that looks a whole lot like his truck. I've done a lot of services, a lot of funerals. And what it's taught me is none of us have the promise of tomorrow. And whether Jesus comes for us collectively or calls us individually, none of us know the day nor the hour. The only thing we can do is prepare to be ready to see him. And the only way to be ready to see him is to believe in your heart now that Jesus died for your sins and not only died for your sins, but rose from the grave. And by confessing with your mouth, Jesus is God's one and only son. It's not complicated. You just believe. You confess. And guess what? When you receive that grace, you begin to live like this world is not all there is, but there's a world to come that God has waiting for you. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask Pastor Jared to come at this time and give you a simple invitation. If you don't know the Lord or want to rededicate your life to the Lord, he's going to pray a prayer with you. And guess what? The most important moment of your existence will be taken care of. Your last breath will not be your last. It'll be your last here. It'll be your first there. God bless you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I believe the Lord has brought you here for this moment. The righteous requirements from a righteous, holy God have been met through Jesus Christ. The ark has been sent for you. His name is Jesus. That salvation. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? If you're not and you say, you know what, today I am far from God. I am not close to him. Maybe you used to be, but you have been distant from him. Or maybe you have never given your life over to him completely. You can have that peace today when you give to him, when you give your life to him. If that's you today and you want to make that commitment, you want to make that decision, just lift up your hand in this place, a confession to the Lord. Say, I want to do that. I see that hand. Anyone else today, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm far from God. I see that hand. I'm far from God. I want to come back to him. I want to come close to God. I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. Anybody else today? I see those hands. Church, we're going to pray together as a family. And I just want you to repeat after me, but know that when you say these words, you are speaking to your heavenly father. You are calling on his name today. So church, pray with me. Heavenly father, I come to you today and I give you my life. I confess my sins. I confess I need you. Jesus, I believe in you as my Lord and as my Savior. 
I give my life to you. Lord, lead my today. Lord, lead my tomorrow. Jesus, take care of my past. It's all yours. I am all yours. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God praise. Thanks for joining us today at Generation Changers Church. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. GC can now be your home church no matter where you live with GC Church Online. Watch weekly messages wherever you are with family and friends. Join our online family today by texting the word online to 615-488-7151. And let's do life together. If you would like more information, please visit gcchurch.tv. And special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or texting the word GIVE to 615-375-4286 or by going to gcchurch.tv and clicking the GIVE tab. God bless you and we'll see you next week.